are found in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. In the NIV it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Heavenly Father and God, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your word I cling, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to entitle our lesson for the day, Contentment, a Power Over Circumstances. I was going to call it No More Belly Aching, but I decided to go with this one instead. Um, have you ever really wanted something so badly that you could taste it? So badly that you thought your life would be empty and meaningless if you didn't get it. Well, growing up, you maybe it was a certain little toy that you had. All as you grew older, a car or that sweetheart that you eyed across the hallway. Or maybe as you grew older, it was your house. And as you looked at the object of your desire, you decided that you'd never rest until you had it. Have you ever had the experience, though, after finally getting what you wanted for so long, that it feels so good, but gradually the newness of it started to wear off? Yeah, that little toy that you had, the, the wheel broke off. The, the car, it started to, to get scratches and dents, and the smell disappeared. Yeah, and that sweet girl that you loved, you noticed that she had character flaws that you didn't notice before. And that house, well, the kitchen now needed an upgrade. We realize that having whatever it was that we couldn't live without isn't all that we thought it would be. And suddenly it seems dissatisfaction and discontent started to set in. Dissatisfaction with what we have seems to be an, an epidemic. And it is carefully fed by the advertising industry. As it promises again and again that our dissatisfaction will disappear 
if we buy just one more product. The smartphone that we have, just a moment ago, did all that we wanted. But then suddenly, because there was an advertisement on the TV, with the new and improved, the glitzy and the glamorous, shiny new one, makes my phone look old, antiquated, and obsolete. Somehow, this advertising promises evoke something deep inside of all of us, like our very soul that cries out, maybe this one will make the restlessness go away. But discontent has led many husbands to leave their wives after 15 years of marriage. It is what tempts people to max out their credit cards to buy new stuff. It's like it hooks us in the nose and drags us almost helplessly from one empty feeling to another. Today we will explore what Paul, as an example, shows us how to break this vicious cycle from one vanity to another and gain fulfillment to the lesson of contentment. How can we find true contentment? I suggest the answer lies in our perspective, our priorities, and our source of power. My first point comes in, verse four, in chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11 where we need to get a correct perspective. Paul said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this epistle, was in prison. So when he says, I greatly rejoice, he was not talking from the easy chair. He was not in front of a 55-inch flat-screen TV. He was not eating steak and filet mignon. He was in prison and he said, I greatly rejoice. He rejoiced because the Philippians, their concern for him and their expression was gratefully appreciated. He said, I greatly rejoice in the Lord, not because his situation was so great, but how the saints were diligent in pursuing the opportunities that God had provided. His focus was on God. And his focus was on others, not himself. Our union in Christ purifies all our earthly enjoyments. It is through our union with Christ and our abiding in Christ that the true blessings of life are experienced. Paul's faith while he was in prison was being tested. But he had learned 
to rejoice in all that God did for him. Many people have become discontented with their faith. Look around us. Many people raised in Christian homes and families heard all the Bible stories since they were preschoolers. They listened to scores, if not hundreds, of sermons, every Christian theme that they could think of. But they have become disenchanted with their walk with God. For many, these people, familiarity has bred contempt. When we are dissatisfied with our faith, we become especially vulnerable to false ideas about God. If we feel that our faith is stale, the idea that someone might have something new and something fresh to say about God can be the very idea that someone might lead us away. That bait is very alluring. And that's why cults are especially attractive to a person who has been raised in a Christian home, but who have grown dissatisfied with his or her faith. They are obsessed, and unhealthy interests have been evoked for controversies, and they are caught up with the latest fad that sweep them away from the church and into society. They gravitate to false teaching that promote the immediate gratification of fleshly and temporal desires instead of godly discipleship. When our faith becomes stale, our prayers feel futile. They don't get past the ceiling. Our Bible study becomes meaningless. Our worship feels empty. Our relationship with other Christians superficial and our service to God joyless. If you're beginning to feel like any of these things happening in your life, your faith is becoming stale and that is when you become prime target for the enemy. And so that is when we sometimes go chasing for something new, for something fresh. But contentment cannot be found in a new gospel. It cannot be found in a new movement. Contentment can be found in cultivated, accurate beliefs, spiritual practices, and a godly perspective on our situation. Think of your soul like a garden. If that garden is neglected, Weeds begin to grow. The flowers become uprooted and die. And eventually the whole garden withers and dies for lack of nourishment. If we don't cultivate our souls constantly, that's what will happen to us. Our faith will become stale, which makes us vulnerable to false doctrines, and unhealthy controversies. Instead, we should cultivate our garden by engaging in daily, daily spiritual practices. These are the habits that we want to cultivate to make our garden grow. 
the Bible reading, the prayer, the giving, the giving, the giving, especially now, the giving. Most of us like to think of this as the season we say forgiving, but we're really thinking about what I'm going to get. But when we start to give, stuff don't have control over you. It is by giving that the stuff loses its control and its power over us. A group of geography students studied the seven wonders of the world. And at the end of the lecture, the students were asked to list what they considered to be the present-day seven wonders of the world. Although there was some disagreement, the following got the most votes. Number one, the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Number two, the Taj Mahal. Three, the Grand Canyon. Four, the Panama Canal. Number five, the Empire State Building. Six, St. Peter's Basilica. And number seven, the Great Wall of China. While gathering the votes, though the teacher noted that one student, a quiet little girl, hadn't turned in her paper yet. So she asked the girl if she was having trouble with her list. The quiet girl replied, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there were so many possibilities. The teacher said, well, tell us what you have and then maybe we can help. The girl hesitated then read, I think the seven wonders of the world are one, to touch, two, to taste, three, to see, four, to hear. She hesitated another moment and then continued, five, to hope, six, to laugh, seven, and to love. The room became so silent it was deafening. It is so easy, far too easy, for us to look at the exploits of man and refer to them as wonders. While we overlook the amazing things God has done regarding such blessings as merely ordinary. When was the last time you got up, looked up at the sky bright and early in the morning and just marveled at a sunrise? Only God could do that. But we take all these amazing wonders for granted as ordinary. Life itself is wondrous, amazing, and miraculous. So why don't we notice this and declare it to be so with every breath, within every moment that we live? To do so is to truly be alive and to live. The wondrous blessings of God are all around us. And Paul noticed it. From the depths of a prison, he noticed that God was still good. And we too, every day, ought to say, God, 
you are so good. Paul did. He rejoiced that the Philippians remembered him in his need. They showed their love and appreciation for him and for what he was doing. It greatly encouraged him in the Lord. Paul greatly appreciated their encouraging generosity, but assures them that despite his lean circumstances, he was not worried. He had learned to be content with what God provided, irrespective of what, did, what that did to his circumstances. It is significant to say that Paul had to learn that virtue and adopt that attitude. You see, contentment is not a natural thing to most. Contentment is not natural to most. It must be learned. Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of State, said, to Americans, tragedy is wanting something very badly and not getting it. But many people have had to learn that perhaps the worst form of tragedy is wanting something badly, getting it, and finding it empty. The Apostle Paul had to learn how to be content. He had found the Lord and his strength enough for any circumstance he encountered. There was an old cow that gave good milk, but she was not too smart. She had an entire field in which to feed, yet no grass seemed quite as tasty as those patches outside her own pasture. She often stretches her head through the barbed wire fence, while right behind her is everything that she needs. Excellent grazing land, beautiful shade trees, a cool and refreshing stream of water. What more could she want? But sometimes we act like that old cow. We think that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. We constantly covet and seek to obtain what we don't even need. We confuse our needs with our wants and thus become very miserable. As a child of God, the greatest blessings are already ours. Heaven is our home. And God, the almighty God, the almighty God is our father. He has promised never to leave us. And he will supply our every need. We need to say thank you a little bit more often. We need to just say thank you. For all that he has given. And start learning to be content. With such an attitude we will learn to appreciate how green the grass is on our side of the fence. And just a little note. The grass on the other side is really artificial turf. It's not what you think it is. In 1997, Austrian Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl died on September 7th at the, at the age of 91. And during World War II, Frankl 
was imprisoned at Auschwitz, where he was stripped of his identity as a medical doctor and forced to work as a common laborer. His father, his mother, his brother, and his wife, they all died. All his notes, which represented his life's work, were taken from him. Yet Frankel emerged from Auschwitz believing that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms that cannot be taken from him is that ability to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Your attitude is up to you. Paul had the right attitude with everything going wrong. He did not pray for God to get him out of prison. He rejoiced while in prison. We may not be able to choose our circumstances, but we do choose our attitude in them. So a good attitude must be our choice. Secondly, I want to point out that we need to have clear priorities. In verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Again, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, while whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment can be found in viewing our lives as our service to God. It may seem an easy thing to be content when you have plenty, but far more difficult when you have to do without. It's so much easier for us to sit on the plush sofas at home and say, I am content. But so much more difficult when your heat is gone and the bills are coming due and your phone bill is overdue and you're being threatened to have all kind of stuff be taken from you to still say, God is good and I am content. Many have not learned how to do without. Many have not learned how to live without getting things their own way. And others have not learned how to do without getting the praise or recognition which they feel they are entitled. It is a lesson well worth mastering. Remember this. Neither riches nor poverty for that matter, defines us. In God's eyes, we are not defined by what we possess. True riches, love, joy, peace, faith, hope, these invisible blessings are how we should measure whether we are rich or poor. And these riches are eternal. Most of us, though, are not content with our lot in life because we want a bigger lot. 
And so we chase after material things of the world, not realizing that they are all temporal. May I just interject this? If you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can smell it, these should not be our priorities in life. The Bible says that all these things are temporal. They will pass away. But the things of God are eternal. They will never pass away. So why are we struggling so hard to catch a puff of smoke? Why are we struggling so hard to gain things that will just turn to dust and fall through our fingers? We work hard, real hard. We work long, real long. We even connive and plot and go against our brothers and sisters to get stuff that will fade away. He's saying we shouldn't do that. You see, the discontented is never rich. Never rich. But a contented man is never poor. No matter how much we accumulate, it seems we never have enough. Most of us don't think of ourselves as wealthy. If I were to ask you in here, how many of us think that we are rich? Most of us will not raise our hands. You see, surveys, though, have found that people tend to look at those who make double of whatever they make as being the rich folks, regardless of how much money they make. So in other words, if I make $30,000, the rich person is the person who makes 60. But if I make $50,000, the rich guy is the one who makes 100. If I make $100,000, the rich guy is not me, is the guy who makes 200. Even billionaire Ted Turner in People magazine said he struggled with dissatisfaction with his income. Now notice this is a billionaire. Because he said, it's all relative. I sit down and say, I've got $10 billion. But Bill Gates has $100 billion. I feel like a complete failure in life. How much is enough? You ever ask yourself the question, how much is enough? We always go back to work hoping next year I'm going to get a raise. And no matter how many raises we get, we want another one. How much is enough? Why do we want so much stuff that is not going to stay? People do incredibly immoral and bizarre things for money. They'll go to, everybody know Jerry Springer? Uh-huh. Jerry Springer and Murray and... They'll go to these shows and expose sick and bizarre secrets 
to voyeuristic viewers for a quick buck. And then you got the teenagers who will rob a liquor store to buy expensive pair of gym shoes. And some of them don't even play sports. Business people will sacrifice their health, their family, their dignity to get six-figure incomes. When is it ever going to be enough? Each generation raises the contentment bar. With every new technological advance, we seem to need more and more things to be satisfied. When I was growing up, we didn't have computers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. But today, we complain because the one we have isn't the latest model or isn't the right color. The 21st century will bring all kinds of marvels to our world, but it won't bring contentment. The secret of contentment, Paul said, is found in Christ. Not in man's inventions, not in creature comforts, not in techno-toys, money, or amusement. It's accepting what God has given us. It's accepting what God has given us and by his strength, making the most of it. Most of us will spend more time working than doing anything else in our lives. God is concerned about our jobs. All the time and energy we spend there is important to him. Most Christians, though, view their jobs as just a necessary evil because we do this job thing because we want to do the things we really are interested in. We say we want to spend time with our family. We want to go on vacation and trips and, and cruises and these kind of things. That's why we work. So we could have vacation. Interesting, isn't it? You work so you could have a vacation. But God created us to work as part of our service to him. We serve God in our jobs when we communicate God's character through the quality of our work and our relationships in the workplace. We look like God because we'll be the only God some people will ever see. So even in a dead-end job, as we want to call it, we can still find contentment if we look at our job as our service to God. Not to manager, not to anybody, to God. So it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the janitor, your job is service to God. In the 19th century, this writer said, contentment is the grateful, faithful, fruitful use of what we have, whether it be little or much. Let me say that again. Contentment is being grateful, faithful, and fruitful in the use of what we have, whether it be little or much. 
Paul had learned that secret about trusting God in every situation and all circumstances. True contentment comes from God alone. We must ask him to flood us with his presence and his strength so that we will be satisfied with him and what he has given. I want to say that again. What he has given. In English class, they tell you if you have been given something, it is a gift. Okay? A gift is not something you work for. You cannot earn. I cannot earn a gift. When was the last day you got up in the morning and you looked out and said, God gave me a new day. He gave me. He gifted this to me. I didn't work for it. I couldn't earn it no matter how hard I tried. I was not owed today. It was a gift. And when we start to see things that way, even in prison, God gave Paul this prison experience. Now you won't say, I ain't want that one. I don't want that one. But God handpicked, he handpicked Paul for this assignment. So you and I, we got some tough time. And we think we're going through some really tough time. But God handpicked you for your assignment. So if it feels tough, God said, I got you. I put you in this because I can bring you through. There was this guy who thought that his burden was the biggest and the heaviest he could have. And so he wanted to trade it in. So the guy who gave burden said, go in that room and pick out another one. Whichever one you want, just pick out another one. And so he went in and he searched all the way through. And he came back out with the same thing. The same burden. He thought he had a new one, but it was the right one for him. Most of us think we've got the worst. We've got it the, the absolute worst. Nobody got it as bad as I do. And God said, I picked you for that because I can get you through it. So let's rely on God's strength. Contentment isn't simply giving up and saying, well, I guess this is my lot in life. It's not mere surrender to faith. Contentment is being secure in what we have today. Let me say that again. Being secure in what we have today. We become discontent when we start thinking about tomorrow and yesterday. When God says sufficient for the day is the trouble there. All I gave you was to consider today is just today. Don't worry so much about tomorrow. That's why he said he would give you your daily bread. That's why he said new every morning. Because only one at a time we can handle. So that's how he gives it to us. So contentment is being secure in what we have today. Even if it's not everything we wanted. Contentment is being able to distinguish between what we really need from what we just want. 
A God-centered life fills that empty place in our souls that the advertisers tries to exploit. My final point is that we need certain a power source, a certain power source. In Philippians 4 verse 13, he says, I can do, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all of this. I can deal with the prison situation through him who gives me strength. The Apostle Paul does not take credit for discovering or learning the lesson of contentment. He did not trace his resources to some inner fortitude that would enable him to take whatever life brought him. Instead, his strength for everything lay in the one who continually empowered him. Our strength, too, comes from the Lord. You and I can endure any trial, any hardship that intrudes in our life. Not because we are so strong. Not because we are so mighty. But because our help comes from the Lord. We hear these words and we belittle them. We just say them and we come like a nice phrase. But we do not really believe it. And I know we don't believe it because every time a trouble comes, every time a trial comes, we start to depend on ourselves. We try to figure out what I'm, what you're going to say, what am I going to do now? We never seem to ask, God, what do you want me to do? Our strength comes from the Lord. God does not grant us superhuman ability. I know he says, I can do all of this, all things. But he doesn't give us superhuman ability to accomplish anything we can imagine without regards to his interests. You are not Superman. You are not Flash. You are not Wonder Woman. No matter how much you think you can handle and juggle and accomplish, no matter how many people have patted you on the back, you will burn out if you continue doing this stuff. We cannot do everything we set our mind to. Let me see. Anybody remember the show um, American Idol? Back when they used to have the interviews of those people who came out to sing. You remember those, that show? And you know some people shouldn't have shown up because somebody told them they could sing and everybody else disagreed. But they were convinced that they can do anything that they wanted. And it's a nice thing to say. We even tell our children that you can do anything you set your mind to. You can be anything you want. Isn't that nice to say? And isn't that, but it's a lie. It's a lie. You see, God designed us. Okay? We were designed. 
And every engineer, everybody knows that when you had a design, something had a specific purpose. All right? You cannot take a bench and then use it to go driving down the road. That is not the design. God created us specifically for a particular purpose. You cannot do everything. Look at our physical body. You cannot see through your nose. You cannot smell with your hands. No matter how much you wish you could, you can't do these things. Every part had a purpose, had a design. And I'm not here to, to burst your bubble. I'm just saying you that you're missing out on your purpose when you think you can do everything. God just wants you to do the few things that he designed you to do and do it well. So you cannot do everything you set your mind to do. But we can do all the things that God gives us to do. With whatever he gives us to do. So if God has assigned us a task, you can't fail. Isn't that amazing? No matter what it looks like to you. If God has assigned you and I that task, you can't fail. Even if you feel like you're failing, God will not let you fail because God has given you everything that you need to accomplish that one. God has given Paul the ability to accomplish his will, whether he had plenty or overwhelming need. God's grace will sustain us no matter where he leads us or no matter the lack of or the bounty of material things. The power we receive in union with Christ is enough to do his will and to face the challenges that arise from our commitment to doing it. I'm almost done. I asked my daughter to help me with this. And so, see if I could get it right. I borrowed her glove, a fancy one, I guess. The new fandango one with the thing to thing, yeah, that one. So, Corey Ten Boom said, describe the, ability, the reality of Christ indwelling us like a glove. She illustrated it, she said, I have a glove here in my hand. The glove can do nothing by itself, nothing. But when I put my hand in it, when I put my hand in it, the glove can do many things. It is not the glove, but the hand in the glove that does the act. Let me say that again. It is not the glove, even though we see the glove touch this, pick this up. It is not the glove that picks it up. It is the hand in the glove that does the work. The Christian, we are the glove. The Holy Spirit, he is the hand in the glove who does all the work when we surrender. 
We have to make room for every finger of the hand so it can be filled. And God never expected us to be strong in ourselves. So Christ daily, he pours his power into us so we can do mighty things because of the power that he puts in us. I'm almost done. Paul was content because he could see his life from God's point of view. He focused on the task assigned. We too must focus on our task assigned. That is how you become content. Focus on the task assigned, not on how we feel we should have. Not on what we feel we should have. Or how it makes us feel about it. Focus on what God assigned you to do. Not on how you think it should have worked out. Paul had detached himself from the non-essential so that he could concentrate on the eternal. Contentment can be found in focusing on what's most important in life. It's been said, money will buy you a bed, but not sleep. It will buy you books, but not intelligence. Buy you food, but not an appetite. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. It will even buy you a passport to go anywhere in the world except to heaven. Contentment is realized when we draw on Christ's power for strength. Last illustration. Imagine being on a beach. I know especially now we're good. Imagine being on a beach. And God, listen to this, God asks you to make an elaborate sandcastle on the beach. Imagine that this sandcastle now is your life. It's your job, your accomplishment, your achievements, your bank account, your home, your relationships. So you build it and you build it. And you finally finish your sandcastle life. You stand back to look at its beauty. And then life suddenly starts to change as the waves begin to touch the base of your castle. And soon the waves destroy the castle and you see all you've worked for, all you've poured your life into, turn back into sand. You cry out, stop, 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 it's my castle. And you try to stop the waves, but the ocean is far too powerful. And then you remember, you only built the castle because God asked you to. You only built that immaculate sandcastle because God asked you to. So which is more important? The castle we build or God who we were trying to please by building it? Which is more important, your life or pleasing God who gave you the life? 
We cannot take our money or our possessions with us when we leave this world. We enter the world alone and completely broke. Not even clothes on our backs. In our lives, we accumulate lots of stuff, make some money, have a family, but then we all leave. And again, we leave alone and broke. Hopefully somebody put some clothes on us, but none of our possessions go with us. So if you're struggling with discontentment, Take a lesson from Paul. Learn to rely on God's promises and Christ's power to help you to be content in whatever situation you're in. Do it today. We'll all be glad that we did. Amen.